Okay, we are live on another episode of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That's what everyone tells me. Subscribe. So there you go. We are here. This is a special one for me. I uh, am a big fan of cinema, uh, especially 80s and 90s cinema. And uh, we have a guest here that personifies that. One of my favorite Disney movies, uh, The Mighty Ducks. We have here Goldberg. But not not that Goldberg. We have... (laughs) We have the Mighty Ducks Goldberg, Sean Weiss. Mr. Weiss, thank you for coming on the uh, the Edlow podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. You tipped it a little bit, Josh, when you said from the Mighty Ducks. But right. I- I'm fantastic. I will have you know I met the other Goldberg. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever met a sweeter guy on this yeah. earth. He's like overly nice. So yeah. sweet. And yeah. I said, I'm, I said, man, I'm a big fan of yours. Because when they came out with those Goldberg shirts back when the 90s, I had one of those. I was wearing one of those. And so I said, man, I used to wear your T-shirt. And he said, I used to wear your jersey. So that was a very (laughs) cool moment. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. That's awesome. I remember back in the 90s, I knew I've been a lifelong wrestling fan. And when I did, uh, when I first started, you know, you had to be kind of quiet about it because everyone thought you were kind of a nerd. And then that was when that happened. I remember I was wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt under my jacket and some dude oh, yeah. walked in with a Goldberg shirt. So I had to pull <laughs> it out and be like, let's do this, man. You know, so it was really cool. But but no, but you, I, the Mighty Ducks is a, for my generation. That's one of the movies that, uh, you know, personifies everybody saw it. Everybody loved it. And Goldberg was such a lovable character going from being afraid of getting um getting you know of getting hit by a puck to being taped you know duct taped to the to the goal and getting hit to becoming you know this amazing goalie in in, in both of the the mighty ducks one and two were you in three as well yes i was okay thanks yeah. thanks for remembering josh yeah. No, yeah you said it really i didn't i never really think about it in those terms but my character arc really is a story of overcoming your fear and you know, having courage. I really haven't thought about it in that, with that perspective too much, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, so wh- where did you start? I mean, child acting, um, we hear so many stories. How did you get into it? I got my start. Uh, my mother took me to see a, a manager who was holding a talent scout in New York City. Mm. So it was probably a bit of a scam in that she probably took $400 from a thousand kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple kids she actually put in the business and I was one of them and she got me started working right away. I think a day or two after I met her, she had me, uh, uh auditioning for a Bill Cosby jello pudding pop commercial and I booked the part. <laughs> I got my first audition. So nice. I got, I got off to a good start and that's, I really, you know, from there, it was just always really successful child actor. I probably booked most of the auditions I went in on, I, I would, I would venture to say probably 50%. Wow. So do you have any idea what it is that you did differently than other people that made you so quickly booked? I don't know. When I got a little older, people started likening me to Jackie Gleason. And I know that ended up getting me a lot of parts. Ah, Um, But before then I guess I was just, I had an outgoing personality and I had, uh, I grew up, with older brothers and sisters so i would say like you know adult things and i think that kind of set me apart in in the rooms when i went to audition you know i would make 
I would crack wise. And a lot of times, and I would say this what was true for my whole career, I would book art and book the auditions for like a joke I made in the room while I was auditioning. And I was right. getting parts more for my personality than I was for my acting chops. And I think at some point that caught up to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so um, where in the timeline is the Mighty Ducks? You do some commercials and then is this is Mighty Ducks your first big part? It was my first feature film, but I mean, I had done maybe 50 commercials, national commercials, and I had done a lot of television work. I was on Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was one of the, oh. the Playhouse kids and I had a lot nice. of jobs like that. But uh, as far as motion pictures, yeah, this was my first movie role. How was doing Pee-wee's Playhouse? I loved that show. It was amazing. Like they they went out of their way to make it for the kids just feel like it was a an actual playhouse. So when yeah. I think back to it, I just think of like the the chair and the you know we were doing. Uh, I was in treatment recently, and everyone's uh, talking about their childhood trauma, and they got to me, and I was like, well, yeah, my mom dropped me off to this guy's house. And he had a talking chair and he had a genie that was in a box and a pterodactyl that would talk to us. So uh, really, that was my only childhood trauma was and it wasn't too traumatic at all. It was kind of fun. But that was awesome. It was just really, like I said, it was just like a fun place to hang out. Yeah. So when you hit, when you get the the, the part in the Mighty Ducks and you, you see, you know, Emilio Estevez is in it. It's a Disney film. How are you feeling about that? Is there pressure there or were you just like, no, this is fun? Yeah, I didn't feel any pressure at all. And it was incredibly fun. And hockey camp when we first showed up to the movie was a lot of fun. And yeah, no, there wasn't any pressure. We were just all really having a good time. And by that point, I was a seasoned enough child actor to where I, I wasn't nervous by like, you know, the, the, the focus of the lens or the lights or anything like that. I actually enjoyed it. I used to like that, that, uh, that pressure, so to speak. Nice. Did you, uh, were you the most seasoned of the kids? I don't think so. I think we were all, uh, in the, had all been in the business for a while. I mean, I might've been on the, might've been, you know, actually Josh, now that you, now you ask maybe because, by the time you know, I did that role, I was 13, and I had been doing stuff since I was six. So yeah. I could have been the guy with the most credits. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to go back and do a deep dive now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me ask that. You know, you bring up we bring up child acting, and that's something I wanted to ask because there are so many, there are so many kind of uh, you know stories about child actors that that ended poorly. What do you think it is about being a child actor that tends to do that? I think that and there's a couple of things. I, I know I can only speak from my own experience, right? So I know for, right. for me, um, a lot of the things that sort of led to a meltdown, a, a couple of things. One was uh, I felt a lot of boredom because when you're in the entertainment industry, things are moving so fast and there's always so many things going on that everything was so exciting for me. So when the acting work went away, I was just kind of bored and I didn't know what to do with myself. And that sort of, you know, helped me crack under pressure. And, and also it's sort of odd um, when you're young, it, it sort of changes the uh, power dynamic in the household when you start making more money than your parents. 
it's mm. it's become hard for them to discipline you. I know my parents had a tough time disciplining me once I was paying the mortgage. I don't even mm. think they tried to anymore at one point. So I think right. the combination of those two things, um, mm. you know, are probably not the healthiest of circumstances in trying to set up like you know a balanced adulthood. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and also I got to imagine. I mean, when you're a child actor and you're famous. Everybody wants to hang out with you. Things are probably available to you that aren't available to normal kids. Did you did you experience some of that as a kid? Well, I mean, if you're talking about things like being avail available to me, like, you know, things that are, would only be available to, to adults, um, by the time I was really coming into my own in the movie business, it was kind of a shift into, like, a whole, like, health paradigm. So people were just trying to be as healthy as they could and... Um, you know, the in I really couldn't blame my my exposure to those things on the industry. Unfortunately, that's kind of mm. what you're digging for. Mm. Okay, so yeah, because there is a, a part of your story. Well, before we go into that, let's just talk about the Mighty Ducks a little bit more. So, on set, you're having fun. Uh, what give it? Give us some stories of stuff that happened on the set. That is there anything that sticks out to you as a funny story or anything like that? Well, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, I mean, I've got nine years worth of funny. I mean, stories making those movies. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that uh, that I do like to talk about whenever I do uh, interviews is the scene that we shot uh, during the first picture where we all go to uh, the Minnesota Stars game. And I remember what it was like shooting that scene because we were all, all, you know, earlier in the day we had shot in the arena with Mike Madonna and got to meet him and he took slap shots on me which I, I still have flashbacks of from time to time. And <laughs> then then we shot the scene of us watching the game. The cameras were like out of sight. They were like far away. So we didn't even know there were cameras on it at one point. And we were all together and we were all watching this hockey game. And it really, for a minute, I really felt like I was on this team called, called the Mighty Ducks. And we were, it was actually a reality. And, uh, you know, I, I actually feel like that moment comes through on on camera when you see that because that scene very, looks very authentic and i think it's because yeah. it was because I, I feel like i'm not the only one that felt that way and and i know that day was definitely um it, it was crucial in uh, the camaraderie that eventually developed between us all yeah and that's that's something i wanted to ask you know i, I got to imagine when you're filming the movie did you guys know i mean it's kind of become somewhat of a, a i wouldn't know if they call it a cult classic but it's a classic film i mean did you guys know as you're filming it that it was going to become so popular i know that i definitely didn't know after the <laughs> i didn't know heading into the first one that it would be as popular and nor did i know after any of them that we'd be going back to make another one right. so no it was all a, a, a happy surprise for me every time through i don't know about the other kids they may have had a better uh foresight but not me i mean one thing that uh was odd for me was when i got the picture when i found i was going to be doing a, a hockey movie i was not thrilled about this because i was not a hockey mm -hmm. fan i was right. a big football right. fan i was a big baseball fan uh i was a huge fan of the karate kid so i was telling my agent get me a yeah. baseball movie or a football movie <laughs> or a, a kung fu movie yeah. so I, was, I just wasn't thrilled about hockey you know yeah. So uh, that, that all changed after we started making the movies. Um, 
just getting to hang out like in the locker rooms and meeting some of the players, I think it would have been hard not to fall in love with the, uh, you know, the game was a kind of access we had to. Yeah. What was it about, what was it about that that kind of made you fall in love? Is just learning the game as you were going yeah, through it? Yeah, or? learning the game, just it's a beautiful game. Uh, and then being there live is something you don't really pick up on when you're watching on television. You know, the speed uh, that they right. play with and the size and the skill of the players is something you don't get to unless you're in person. And I got a lot of exposure at, at, uh, at the games. And yeah, I think there was something about um, you know, whenever we would go to a game, we would get to go to the clubhouse and we would meet all the players and they would give us signed sticks and skates. So I'm sure that all, you know, helped sweeten the pot as far as, far as my uh, falling in love with the game. You know, I got like a signed Gretzky jersey. So oh, that helps. that's awesome. Yeah, that yeah. helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned you're a Karate Kid fan. And I got to ask you, I, I run, every time I run into Karate Kid fans, I ask if they've been following Cobra Kai and what you think of it. I have, you know, I haven't been, but I've been meaning to. I just, yeah. I, I feel guilty when I watch too much television, you know, I think there's uh, like so many things that I have to do. I'm a single man, you know, I don't have, I don't have any children. Um, you know, I live in a sober living, Josh. So for me to like put mm -hmm. too many hours in on Karate Kid is hard mm -hmm. for me. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I do have kids <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I, I spend way too much time on that. I love Cobra yeah, Kai. You can afford it. You've already created yeah. some human beings. You know what I'm saying? You can relax. Whereas yeah. I feel sort of like I have to do something, you know, like valuable with my time. Sure. At least, sure, at least try to get them to make heavyweights too, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So tell me, Mighty Ducks, heavyweights is also, I'd say heavyweights is more of a cult classic than Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks is just wildly popular. Heavyweights is good there, there too. Tell me, what did you did you enjoy also filming heavyweights? Was it that same camaraderie? Uh, yeah. Well, it was a different group of guys, but yeah, I enjoyed heavyweights immensely because we were at a summer camp, and for all intents and purposes, we acted like we were at summer camp. So that was just wildly fun. We spent the summer in uh, North Carolina, and. You know, that was like, uh, I was starting to like smoke cigarettes and I think I found like my first water bong around that time. So mm. <laughs> it was just a crazy time out there in uh, North Carolina. It was, it was a fun time for sure, but definitely a different group of kids. But I hung out mostly with Keenan the whole time. And uh, I want to say Aaron too, but he was busy. He, we were, he was in a lot of scenes that the rest of us weren't in. Aaron uh, played Jerry. So I guess I just hung out with Keenan the whole time we were out there. Nice, nice. I was going to ask you too. Is there anybody with the Mighty Ducks or heavyweights that you know you really bonded with or keep in contact with? I mean, I've literally bonded with everybody, and it's like saying, uh, like, are there do you, are there any different brothers or sisters that you bonded with? Um, yeah. I in later life, I do uh, spend a lot more time texting back and forth with Garrett Henson, who played mm. D. Um, mm. And when we were kids, me and Averman were kind of inseparable on this on the set of one, two, and three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yes. So that's what's so interesting because I did I did an interview on another podcast with uh, with uh, Sean Kanan from Karate Kid Three, and then I did one with one of the guys who did Cobra Kai, and it's so interesting to to find out the camaraderie that people have, particularly if you're if you're going to be really mint. Like uh, I I did one with a guy who who did Cobra Kai. 
uh, his name is uh, uh, Bo, and he was talking about him and one of the other characters were going to be really close uh, doing a lot of scenes together. So they spent like five hours together getting to know each other, and then they just became really good friends. It's, and it's just interesting, the methods for that. Is that is that kind of what your experience was, too? You spent so much time, you just naturally become friends? Absolutely. And when you say, like, well, we spent five hours together, we spent months together and we would see each other all day every day and you know when we would go to hockey camp for five or six hours we would go to the hotel and hang out with each other at the hotel or the the, the complex so we just spent a crazy amount of time together and mm -hmm. definitely um you know there's a certain amount of bonding that comes through that and also just being part of those movies and like when we you know, after we made the first movie, seeing uh, what we made, to, like making something special together, I think mm -hmm. also also made us closer together for sure. And definitely wow. as adults, you know, yeah. like we, we're definitely bonded in that in a way that's like, you know, sort of indescribable. Sure, sure. Do you still at times, I mean, do people come up to you and just... Goldberg, you know, do they do anything like that? You yeah, I get that, that a lot. I, I really, I, I hadn't had it for a while lately, but then I was, then I sort of got back in the press a little bit. So I do get recognized frequently now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, I know some actors don't like that. Uh, some do, or some just kind of, yeah, it's part of the, the deal. How do you feel about that? Um, I, the, the, the latter, it, I feel like it is totally part of the deal. And mm -hmm. do I mind it? Never. I, I don't really mind it ever. I mean, I imagine there could be some situations where it's probably not awesome, but, sure. uh, but I'm, I'm always, uh, sort of, you know, ready to share a connection. Like when I meet people that come up to me, they're not like, Hey, I saw you. You're that guy from TV. I meet people that are like, Hey man, I've, I grew up watching your movies. So, yeah. you know, yeah. they, I feel like they deserve that one-on-one -on -one moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I always love that. You know, I, I heard Jerry Seinfeld one time. Someone, one of the comedian, uh, another comedian, was telling him how much he hates that, and he goes, "What do you do when they say hi?" I go, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, sure. and, and so. What do you do um, when people want to take pictures? I take the picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, people yeah. for the people for the most. I know, and for me, it's probably different for someone of his level. But people are always nice and respectful and loving with me. I've never yeah. really had a situation that got annoying or anything like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So part, now part of your story is you, you know, you have a little bit of a, you know, a rough patch as a child actor and pull out of it. Uh, I know that you have a, you, you're in recovery. You had some, uh, some issues with drugs and uh, tell me where did that start in the process for you or in your, in your chronology? Where did it start? In the, well, it probably started when I was very young just by like dabbling in uh, alcohol and things like that. And um, like I say, it, it, I really fell into sort of a depression when I wasn't in show business anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, like I said, I really couldn't blame my substance issues on, on Hollywood. I guess I could indirectly. I mean, I guess you could always blame, blame somebody if you want to. But um, <laughs> right. eventually, eventually, you know, the, I wasn't in the business anymore and I kind of got depressed over it. And, um, you know, for a while there, I really didn't even see myself being on camera ever. And if I even if somebody pulled out a video camera, I wouldn't even let them record me. So thankfully, mm. uh, I went into treatment and, you know, I'm in recovery. I uh, January 25th of 
2023 was my three year mark. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you know, you it's, it, it feels it's, slightly it's, odd, Josh, getting congratulated for something like that because, you know, it's like congratulations. It's like telling someone, hey, good going on not electrocuting yourself. Like, that yeah. was a good move. You know, it's like we're not supposed to uh, murder ourselves with drugs. So I feel slightly uh, odd accepting credit for that, but I am proud of it. And uh, only because, like, it's it's so few people really come out the other end of it. So yeah, I am and, proud that I was able to. Well, I, th I also congratulate you for another reason. My uh, my dad, I've been pretty public about this on my podcast. My father is uh, over 25 years sober, and uh, he, uh, he had a rough go uh, most of my childhood. And I can tell you it's funny because he, I think I was, I think I was 17 when he came out of rehab um, and uh, looking at him now, it's he's a completely different person, completely different. Yeah. In fact, I have a sister who's 21 years younger than me. And, oh, I wow. keep and I keep telling her, I'm like, the dad you have is a completely a different, different dad. dad. Yeah. Yeah. He's and thank God, different. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's did interesting. He, did he do, uh, was he a 12 step guy? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. did. He got, he got he, into NA and all that. There are there are more stories like that, Josh, of, of you know, 12 steps turning people's lives around. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it, I got to give him credit for a few things. You know, a lot of people uh, and it sounds like you're very similar to this. You know, a lot of people, they blame others for a lot of the things that they that they do. And he uh, to his credit, um you know, he he got into therapy and stuff like that, and he and he told them right out the gate. Because then my mom, you know, she also did uh, what do you call Al-Anon, which is like the the one for the people who are related oh, yeah. to. And sure. uh, and she went into the therapist, and she was worried that he was going to say, "Well, she drove me to this, and she's like that." And he just said, "No, she this has nothing to do with her at all." You know, and he just took it on himself and said, "This is all on me." It's and uh, and I think that that was. Part of the reason probably why his recovery has gone so well is because he accepted that he's the one needed to change. Yes. Look, uh, you know, taking ownership and accepting responsibility is almost, I was going to say square one, but I think surrender is square one. But yeah. definitely, uh, you know, in your recovery, and that's one of the things that the, the steps help you do once you're taking your own inventory and writing your wrongs and making, an, making amends, uh, you know, just being a, a ownership of your own um, past transgressions becomes a, an offshoot of the steps. Yeah. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing to the journey back, you know, there's, we, I, I, my family, there's a lot of people who've had the issues who didn't make it. So it was really, it's, it's impressive. That's why I say congratulations for making it. Thank it's you. Hard. Thank you very it's so much. hard. So, uh, but, but going back, you know, you mentioned the depression. Um, how, how old were you, do you think, when you were, I mean, you dabbled in stuff very young, but how old were you when you, would, looking back, say you were, you started to fall off and get addicted? Oh, I mean, uh, addiction or depression? The addiction. Uh, well, you know, with the, my mother passed away in 2008, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the day she died, I drank a tall bottle of vodka and I stayed drunk 
for three years without any exaggeration from bottle to bottle, sun up to sundown. I would wake up, drink a bottle. I would wake up, vomit, then drink a bottle of hard booze. Wow. And I stayed drunk for three years. So that would be 2008. And really, I guess really that's when my troubles with, uh, you know, the, the long burn really started was mm -hmm. with alcohol. I was able to quit alcohol and then I kind of shifted into pills. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was always still managing my life, though. Mm -hmm. My life hadn't really become unmanageable mm -hmm. until uh, my mid uh, my my late 30s when I mm -hmm. uh, had a like a bad breakup. I lost mm -hmm. my father within a very short period of time. And I, when I found a uh, mess, it would like help me not think about things. Sure. So it was, it was working as an antidepressant for me at first. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so now tell me, look, you're talking to a guy, I have been lucky enough, uh, you know, I, the addiction gene runs uh, deep in my family. And for some reason, it's funny because I have, I have family members that weren't like this, but for some reason I just saw that and said, boy, never going to touch that stuff. You well, know, that's, just, a, that's intelligence. Really? Yeah. That, I mean, that, I've always said that's what intelligence is being able to learn from other people's mistakes. You didn't have to go touch that the stove to know it was hot. Right. So right. good for you. <laughs> so, but, but tell me as someone who's never, I mean, I've never done, I've never done meth. Like, what is it like? I mean, it's like trying to describe to somebody what an orange tastes like. You know, mm. you feel, uh, you definitely feel like you can accomplish anything. Mm. And you're, you don't ache anymore. Your mm -hmm. body feels strong, good, euphoric. There's a warm, tingly feeling inside of you. Mm. And you know that feeling like, when you're about to go to a football game, you're about to do something exciting, you're about to go to a party, you have like an excited, tingling feeling in your chest. It's sure. that feeling times 10. Wow. Until yeah. it wears off. Yeah. And then it's the opposite. It, then it's yeah. hell. Yeah. Wow. So when it, tell, yeah, tell me what the come down's like when, when it's wearing off. Well, I mean, you know, it can be different things. You know, when I was on meth, a lot of times, I wouldn't sleep for weeks at a time. Yes, right. You heard me weeks at a time. So even if the drug isn't giving you um, psychosis, not sleeping for weeks at a time will. Yeah. So it's just a, it's not a good feeling, man. When you, when you know you haven't slept in weeks mm -hmm. and you're filthy and you, you know, you know, you know, people treat you exactly the way you look. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just a hellish existence. I really wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Yeah, let's hope not. Yeah, especially yeah. when, especially when, um, you know, when you're at, when it brings you to the depths that where I was, I was homeless on the street, and I mean that. Uh, you know, I remember the last uh, Christmas Eve that I was out there. I guess I was gotten arrested. I got in trouble in January, so I remember the last Christmas Eve I was out there, and I was outdoors. I couldn't find shelter, and it was raining on me. And I remember asking God, why are you, why don't you just kill me? Why are you making me suffer like this? Mm -hmm. So to go from that place to where I am now, which honestly, I mean, I've never been as content or happy or as healthy feeling in my life. So it's, wow. it really is a miracle and a testament to the 12 steps and a testament to the human spirit and 
you know, I want to let you know there isn't. A, I used to hear, I used to hear about other drug addicts getting clean, and I would think, well, they just don't like it as much as I do. <laughs> like I like it more because I couldn't imagine right. stopping. You know, even when I was in treatment, I was like, well, I'll just quit long enough to bullshit them and get these people off my back, and eventually I'll, I'll be back doing what I want to do. So, if I'm if a guy like me can get clean off the stuff that. And I, I'm letting you know, anybody can get clean. That is yeah. my real method. So what do you think it takes? Like we hear a lot about like rock bottoms and you could probably only talk about your own experience, but tell me what was it that got changed you from that to, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Well, me specific, I think it does take a rock bottom. And I think what people call rock bottom sometimes isn't rock bottom. So I was in a jail cell facing three years for a burglar, a felony burglary charge. That's rock bottom, right? Yeah. You know, right. making an asshole in front of your friends and losing your job isn't really rock bottom. That's just losing your job, making an asshole in front of your friends. So I do think rock bottom is necessary. And in my case, um, it was, I didn't want to go to jail. And they gave me a chance. And I, I said, listen, if you're going to give me that chance, I'm going to take it. And I had already wanted to really get clean. I was done living that lifestyle. And mm -hmm. for the first while when I was out there on the street, it was kind of fun for me, dude. I was like hustling. I was playing the part mm -hmm. of this like street hustler. And I was, I was kind of enjoying it. It was very exciting, you know, robbing stores and like, you know, hanging out mm -hmm. with all these shady characters. And, and I just felt tough and cool in a way. But then after a while, I lost the ability to care for myself i got sick and once i got mm. sick i really couldn't care for myself out there on the street and so mm. i was hurting you know i had pneumonia when i eventually got in trouble and uh i just i couldn't take another winter you know uh, out on, in the, on the streets of los angeles so literally yeah. you know if i hadn't gotten in trouble i you know without trying without trying to avoid bravado when I say this, I probably would have died had I not gotten mm. in trouble when I did. And I really believe that. Wow. Was it, uh, being on the streets of Los Angeles, when you're, you know, when you were kind of nearing that rock bottom, were there still people who'd be like, hey, Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks or from Heavyweights? Always, like, yeah. There were, there were always those people, yeah. Oh, wow. What, tell me what that was like. Did that was that kind of a reminder for you, or what did it? Did you even pay attention to that? Well, I feel. I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I feel like it. It kept me from getting killed. I mm. feel like, yeah, I, I don't think anybody wanted to be responsible for killing the guy from the Mighty Ducks. So I think right. it definitely kept kept <laughs> me alive because murders happen a lot, right? And I was in situations where, like, if you're not going to get murdered by those people in that situation, then. You know, who, yeah. then you're never going to get murdered. And a couple of times, some dudes did try to kill me. And I was in the hospital one time for weeks with like puncture, with all my ribs are broken. I had a punctured lung. So I feel oh, like, geez. yeah, it was bad, bro. I feel like, uh, you know, if I wasn't that guy, I also would not be here. But it was also strange. I mean, some people looked out for me and other mm. people, I kind of feel like made it harder on me, like deliberately mm. picked on me. And there was kind of a, 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 a target on my back in, in some situations. So sure. I know it was, a, it was a mixed bag, man, but it was all part of my, uh, my journey, which I can tell you, man, like I didn't have any boring days out there. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Right. <laughs> Did you ever, um, well, that story now, when you got, when they tried to kill you, like, you want to give us an idea of what happened? Like, well, happened? So, some people owed me money and I went to collect and they had like, uh, they were staying in a, a homeless encampment that was kind of like the skid row of the San Fernando Valley. And I went to get my money and the guy wasn't there. So I waited and I fell asleep. I waited in his tent. I, uh, I woke up to about five guys pummeling me and they were just trying to kill me. I got up. I was able to get to my feet and get out of there. And uh, I, I, I walked across the street and this was like a day that I'll never forget. And it was kind of a, a wake up call. I walked across the street and I was at a dollar store and I walked in the dollar store and I couldn't get anyone to call 911 for me. I was really hurt. I couldn't breathe. And people were avoiding me like the plague because I looked like a homeless person. And that right. day, I, I saw a side of the humanity that I didn't really know existed, you know? Yeah. Where, where, like, people will not even call 911 for you. And so I just wow. laid down on the floor of the dollar store, and um, eventually an ambulance showed up about half an hour later. And, yeah, they wow. took me to the hospital. And the doctor told me that if I, because at first they didn't, I wouldn't allow them to put the chest tube in. And they told me that if I don't let them put the chest tube in, I won't survive. So I was like, all right, I will take the chest tube. <laughs> <laughs> man, man. So um, now with, with recovery, so you've been recovered for three years. Um, do you have any desire to go back to doing any more projects in Hollywood or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, for the last six months, I've been focusing on stand-up comedy, but okay. I haven't been doing the clubs or anything like that. I've just been doing open mics, trying to get my act okay. up, you know? Yeah. Um, but really, uh, you know, I want to go and tell my story and help as many people as I can, but really, uh, I'm doing stand-up comedy to try to get myself back into the uh, acting business, if I'm being sure. fully transparent with you. Right, right. So, was there ever a role, I mean, you had those roles in kind of comedy kid movies. Is there a role that's like your dream role? As an actor, yeah, I mean, definitely. I made a show on YouTube called Why Not Wife? And it's uh -huh. basically, basically I'm inspired by Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld and those shows. So my show is basically if Larry David didn't have $250 million, if he had no money. <sighs> And so, but it's the same style of show. And I made uh, five episodes called Why Not Weiss. In the fifth episode, uh -huh. I was able to get Ron Jeremy, yes, the Ron Jeremy, to play my dad. Wow. wow. And uh, I got Kirk Fox, who's, um, according to me, my, the funniest human on the earth, who's also <laughs> one of my favorite comedians. I got him to play the owner of the nursing home that my dad stays at. So I kind of created this little sitcom, and the dream was to make a a full-size sitcom in half the time. So my episodes are like 11, 12 minutes. So my dream nice. role would be really making more episodes of Why Not Wife. And definitely nice. the subject matter where it was, you know, him trying to deal with his dad and, and get stand-up comedy gigs, the subject matter would now be him, you know, being homeless and trying to, like, survive in, an, in a homeless encampment. So I'd like to make yeah. episodes like that. And would those uh, would that sitcom be a comedy? Would it be more serious? Yeah, what would you yeah. Know? It's like it's kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's definitely yeah. looking looking at very serious uh, and dramatic things, but through a, a funny lens. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Um, it, it, between heavyweights and uh, Mighty Ducks, um, dealing with Emilio Estevez and Ben Stiller, like who who 
did you enjoy working with one of them more than the other? Uh, well, I mean, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah. I don't know how to answer that question. Well, let me think about it. I'll give you a real answer. Uh, Emilio was just very easy to work with. Uh-huh. Ben was very in, is a very intense guy, but okay. both but both were fun to be around. Uh-huh. But definitely different is a different vibe. Emilio uh-huh. and Ben, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? Uh, I mean, it seems like you you probably had more experience because there were a couple movies with Emilio versus just the one. Yeah, yes, but, yeah, yeah. We got to know Emilio a little better. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, do, was that something when you're a child actor where you kind of starstruck by by Emilio Estevez? I mean, he's pretty not really because I hadn't really seen a lot of Emilio's work. I knew oh, he was okay. a movie star, but I was more starstruck around Pee Wee because I oh, see yeah. I see yeah. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is such a good movie. I was actually talking to another still. guy. It's so good; it holds up. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, Pee Wee did a, a Netflix movie with with Judd Apatow a few years back. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen that? I did. It's good. Yeah. I, I, like I thought it. it was great. I thought they were really able to, uh, you know, recapture the, that Pee Wee Herman style of humor. I thought it was awesome. And yeah. I got to tell you, you know, the opening, like the opening uh, few moments of that, of that movie, it mm-hmm. really, really, it, Paul Rubens is that guy in real life. He yeah. is like, he is like the sweetest man. He's just that guy. He's like a very sweet gentle loving guy his heart is on full blast all the time to everyone he knows so yeah. when i watch that i'm like you know that really is like who he is i mean i don't think he walks around in the gray suit all the time but right. <laughs> that's really who he is as a person i i can't think of anything he's done that i didn't like i mean even like he was a mystery man and that was fun oh dude that was I so mean, fun yeah such a good uh, movie. He was in blow. yeah yeah so yeah. tell me as as an actor what you know it's it always ask these questions of, of people who who've done acting. Do you have like a, a, a top five favorite movies list? Top five. I mean, dude, I'm such an avid movie lover. I mean, uh-huh. I could lift, I could list off five movies that I love. Yeah. I could list them off quickly. Uh, yeah. Recent. I can give you recent ones too. There's a movie called Allied mm-hmm. with uh, with with uh, Brad Pitt and mm-hmm. the French and uh, the French woman whose name I can never pronounce. Poliard. That movie is like a a classic, as good as Casablanca. No one's ever even heard of it. Amazing yeah. movie. The mm-hmm. same year came out another amazing movie called Live by Night. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of that one? No, I haven't. That's you got to watch this, bro. It's Ben Affleck. He wrote it and directed it. Okay. And it is easily one of the best gangster movies ever, hands down. As good as Godfather Two. As good as Scarface. Amazing movie. Um, Scarface, I loved that movie and I, I yeah. o- always will every time through. Yeah. Um, anything Scorsese does, I'm a huge Inglorious Bastards fan. Mm. Um, I'll tell you, as far as comedies go, I just saw a movie called Cocaine Bear. Oh, see, I wanted to see that. Cocaine Bro, Bear is on Peacock. Yeah. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> you will not be disappointed. Very, very funny and entertaining all the way through. That's, that's my, that is my, uh, I, I love that genre of like so bad it's good type movies. You know. Well, I don't, and yeah. uh, I went to see it with my girlfriend, and we didn't know what to see, and we just both decided as a goof, let's go see this movie. We really planned on just making out the whole time. I don't, we didn't plan right. on watching the movie, but the movie was so so good. I I didn't even get to do the popcorn trick. Yeah. 
<laughs> so now that was something that you you said off air. It was funny. We were, we were waiting for you to to come in, and you were a little bit late, and you were talking about your girlfriend, and you said this is your first time having a girlfriend for a while. Tell tell us about her. Oh my God, she's just amazing. Like you know, I've never had a situation with anybody that I just got along with so well. Right. And she's just she's just so like loving, supportive. Uh, she just, she, I don't know. I'm waiting, but I don't know what to do, man. I, I don't, I'm really feel like I'm just receiving a blessing. Um, she's so beautiful. I don't know what the hell she's doing with me. I'm always like sort of suspicious sometimes. I'm like, what's going on? Am I in an elongated, like Ashton Kutcher punk episode right here? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> so it's long distance. She's in Georgia, which I think is good for me because, uh, you know, when you're in recovery, they advise you not to get into a relationship. And I think, sure. you know, that's that was probably a very good idea for me. And it helps mm-hmm. that she's not in the same state because it's like a built in buffer zone, you know, because I have problems. Sure. With, I have problems moderating myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just it's the most healthy thing. I've healthy relationship I've ever been in. And I think that's probably because I'm not with her all the time (laughs) so uh yeah we'll see where it goes but as of now it's like every time we see each other it's just like bliss from the time i'm with her to the time she leaves so hopefully i'll get to see her uh in the next few months oh yeah actually i rigged it so that the first stop of my comedy tour is in her hometown see how i did that yeah (laughs) so i'll see her on june 22nd i'll be in woodstock georgia is the opening of my tour nice and so uh, how far how many stops are on your tour i'm gonna be nine nine i have nine stops and uh it's just like a a trial kind of thing um to Mm -hmm. both uh feel it out for me and let me see what like who's gonna come out and see me and also uh so clubs know um you know whether or not i sell tickets so they can book me to do a, a real tour so it's yeah. kind of like a trial, a trial by fire kind of thing. Nice. That's awesome. And did you set that up yourself or do you have an agent that you're working through? You know, I have a guy that's kind of like a TikTok star who reached out to me and he's like, bro, I want to go on tour and I'm a big fan of yours. Do you want to come with me and headline? And I was like, yeah, absolutely I do. So he's basically the one that found all the venues and set everything up. So no, I don't have an agent. Mm. Um, looking, I'm looking for one. You know anybody, Josh? I, do, I don't. I okay. don't. But Maybe somebody will listen to the podcast. Yeah. yeah, no, that would be great. But, you know, it's funny here in Sacramento, there's a big my my brother, he he dabbled in stand up comedy for a while. And um, there's a here in Sacramento, there's there's the punchline and then there's laughs unlimited. And then we're right punchline, here in San Francisco. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there's there's a lot of little venues here. So if you ever go on a stop, you I hope you come through here. I'd come and watch your show. It'd be awesome. That's awesome. You know, I got to say Sacramento is my ground zero. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it's where it's where all hell broke loose yeah. and you know where you know my sister lives in uh in a place called i don't want to i shouldn't say the name of the city but you can't mm-hmm. go to Seven Eleven without somebody offering you meth outside Seven Eleven. oh there. I, I probably you know exactly what you're talking about yeah Dude, you know, so I, I avoid that hood like the plague you know and i hate to you know have it be like that but it'd be like that <laughs> yeah no i hear you my i have family so it's funny sacramento is you you know this, but some people who aren't who who aren't from around here know this. Sacramento is just a bunch of little suburbs around, but there's some really it's weird because there are some some little towns here where like you could have one really nice 
neighborhood right next to one really not nice neighborhood. Yes, that, and, and that's exactly what my sister's set up. She lives in a really nice neighborhood, but like you turn right yeah, <laughs> and go yeah. like 200 yards and it's the pit. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I have a lot of family in a little area called Gridley, California, which is a really nice – it's a nice small city, very rural, lots of farmers. But then there's a couple of cities that you're about 10 minutes away, and, you, boy, you don't want to – Yeah, there. man. Like yeah. even – I can say I – guess, I guess it would be the uh, – not a city that, I, that I'm avoiding. It's an entire county. Yeah. And uh, when people <laughs> see me show up there because, you know, I was in the news and stuff for, for having gotten arrested there and stuff. And when I went back for court – when people yeah. see me around there at like Seven Eleven and stuff, they're like, "Man, what are you doing here? Get out of here!" Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we do not want to see you here. We think bad yeah. news. So I'm like, "I get you. Don't worry. I'm I'm on my way out." Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't realize you had the the ties to the Sacramento area. I love it yeah. here. It's I've I've born and raised here, and uh, it's it's cool being you know an hour away from the the beach and an hour away from the mountains. We have oh, the yeah. Sacramento, Sacramento Kings who recently pulled out of the cellar, you know, from the in the NBA. So you know the the team the, the team is loved so much here, and it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I, I, it's a good place oh, to it's, raise kids. That's beautiful there. I was just there and visited the whole like, um, uh, which like the capital section. What do they call that section there? Where all the where all the where the buildings are? Like Midtown, you mean? You Midtown, know, Midtown, yeah. I guess I guess yeah. it's just Midtown, and um, uh-huh. yeah, that's beautiful over there. Love Sacramento. Yeah. Well, and then and then there's Doco. That's where the gold, golden uh, golden one center is, and it's just they've really done a great job of blowing that up and making it really nice. You know, I mean, it, downtown, yeah, the downtown K Street Mall was really bad for a long time, and putting that arena there ended up being really good. It revitalized the whole area, so it's really cool. You know, um, so I, I appreciate you coming on. I want to ask you a few questions. I ask everybody. I mean, we probably know some of the answers to these, but I'm going to ask you. Anyway, um, and, and it's really cool. I also got to say before this, it's cool to to see you now. You had such great success in life. It, it goes to show, I, I once heard um, uh, Tom Hanks say something. He goes, I wish I would have learned earlier the term, this too shall pass, right? Because he's like, if things are good, this too shall pass. If That's things right. are bad, this too shall pass. And You've got to learn to just be equanimous. Yeah, yeah. And I try to tell people because I, I, I very often get calls from friends or acquaintances when they're in really bad spots. And, uh, uh, and I try to remind them, you know, every, every failure we have, every trial we have, you know, five, ten years down the road, you look back and uh, you learn something from it and it shapes you to be a better person. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're panicking and you're in one of those in one of those situations, like you're broke, you can't make your rent or something, it's hard to for to hear that to have someone yeah. tell you, "Well, listen, something good will come of the situation." But I know for sure now, and this is not even like I don't. This is something I suspected years ago, but it's now something I know for sure that mm-hmm. every obstacle that is put in my path is there to teach me something or to have me evolve from it in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as something goes wrong, like you know, I'll get a phone call. Something got canceled. I'll start to look around literally in my own life and I'll say, how did I become out of tune to where I got? Why did I get bad news? Mm-hmm. And I literally look at my life literally in, in those very minute terms of, uh, of, of, of uh, test and reward. And it almost happens to me on a daily basis. And I find that if I do everything good today, I'll have a smooth tomorrow. So yeah. literally, I, I, my, my heaven and hell almost is my reality on a daily basis. 
know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's good. That's awesome. And that that's kind of where I wanted to get. That's where some of these questions go. And I think we're probably going to know where where we're going to go with some of these. But you, your biggest failure in life, what did you learn from it? My biggest failure in life. I haven't considered what my biggest failure was. So let me think about that. Yeah. My biggest fail. Oh, now I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I know. Um, yeah. What was it and what what did you learn from it? Well, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to call it a failure, but I want. I, I want to put it in that area, but I don't want to use that term. Sure. But I. But I probably uh, would have been had a happier life had I started a family when I was younger. Mm. Mm -hmm. Probably because I'm a family man, really, sure. and I don't have a family. Right. Mm -hmm. So that probably, um, you know, not. And I had the chance to do it. So I see it as almost like I messed it up a little bit because I, I had sure. that chance and I put the kibosh on it. Hi, mm. sweetie. So yeah. that, and what did I learn from it? Just that we should take life as it comes to us and accept mm. it and not try to um, be the, 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 it's not that we shouldn't try to control our own destinies, but we should see things that come to us as mm -hmm. things that we're supposed that are supposed to come to us. Yeah. If that makes yeah. any sense. You know, it's funny when you bring that up. To be accepting of, of things. Yeah. One thing I've learned over the course of life and particularly in the last little while when, you know, I've gone through some things is that we have, I think we have a very big illusion of control over things. You know, I, I used to go like, you know, I start going to, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by trade. And it's like, you know, uh, I started law school. Then next thing you know, I lose my job. I, you know, um, I, I think certain things are going to happen and they don't. Um, but the thing is, is five, ten years down the road, you're not even going to remember how you felt that day. You know, like when yeah. I sit there now, I mean, I have, I'm blessed with four, four kids. I love them to death. I have them all the time with me. And, uh, and so when I, um, you know, when I'm sitting there, I, I went to the game seven the Kings game against the Warriors. They lost, unfortunately, but I went there with my son, my 16 year old son, and I'm just sitting there and I'm seeing him so excited. And I think about, you know, him being two years old and, and we ended up having to move out of our house and move into a, you know, move into with my parents and all those things. And I'm like, none of that matters anymore. None of it matters. You know I mean? yeah. None yeah. of it matters anymore, you know? And, and, that, so, and, that's, and that's really a, a, a good lesson for life. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I know myself, I used to let my past really be a hindrance on my future. And I used mm -hmm. to carry that stuff around with me like baggage all the time. Yeah. But it's more healthy to adopt, to really be able to look at things like how you are. Like yeah. I'm sitting here, I, I'm, I, I'm in a good space and yeah. I'm moving forward. The things that happened to me before, if anybody wronged me or whatever, None of it matters. It only matters yeah. if I let it matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think you have a, a good natural ability to let go of things, and it's uh, the difference between a guy like you and me. Mm. Yeah. Well, let me. That's another thing. So, what would you say was your biggest success? You've had lots of successes. What do you think is your biggest My success? My biggest success. My biggest success was getting clean. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I can't really take credit for all the other successes because I just got my, my mom 
pointed me in that direction and that stuff was very easy for me. I never really felt like I, you know, made some kind of major accomplishment, but getting clean, I think was my biggest W that I can really take credit for. Although a lot of people helped me out a lot of real quick. It seems like you had, uh, you had a really strong love for your mom and your dad. Tell, Tell us what they were like. Uh, well, my parents were fantastic. My dad was just the nicest guy I've ever met and very selfless. Mm -hmm. And when I was born, he really just lived his life for me, really. Like, for instance, uh, when I used to go to school, he would drop me off in the morning to go to school. Then he would go to work. And then every day he would go to, like, whatever restaurant and buy me lunch from a restaurant and drop that off for my school lunch. Wow. (laughs) Nice. So every day I would have some kind of, you know you know, whatever uh, fancy entree from whatever restaurant. So that's the kind of dad I had. And uh, just always very proud and supportive. And uh, my mother the same way. They were always just supportive of me and helped me um, develop a, a sense of confidence. And they always encouraged me. And they were just uh, very loving parents. So I'm, oh, unfortunately, that's... I can't blame any of my shit on them. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no. I see these other people. They had really horrible parents. Most people that I've come in t- touch with that are, have drug problems, their parents are, are awful. Awful. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. like I don't have the recovery gene. Neither of my parents are addicts. And I would say 80% of the guys that I go to recovery with, they have, their parents were addicts. So, yeah. you know, I couldn't but even... It goes, but it, but it goes to show you something, and that is that... Um, Addiction really doesn't have a type. You know what I mean? It can catch anybody. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's some, that's why I try to tell my my kids, I mean, I do have the addiction gene in my in my family. And, I mean, I eat Chipotle two days in a row and I'm hooked for a week. You know what I mean? And so it's like. <laughs> I don't know, so, Josh, if that's quite the same. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, but but I try to tell them, I go, hey, listen, I don't know if you have it or you're not, but it'd be better to just not find out. Right, you know, and yeah. um, that's a good, that's we'll logical. Yeah, that's logical. Yeah. You know, some yeah, people, so- you know, what I think it really is, Josh. Some people, I think it depends on what your baseline level is. Like, if yeah. your baseline, you're just in a good mood and you're happy, like, those people tend not to like need to escape so much. But people sure. who have depression issues and people that are, you know, I was in treatment and uh, a guy asked me, during one of our, like you'd be in group sessions for like five, six hours a day, every day. Uh, so I uh, logged over a thousand hours of group therapy. Eventually I wow. start making shit up, you know? Yeah. Pee Wee touched <laughs> me, but he didn't, he didn't. But I, you know, I, you know, these, these, uh, uh kids, their parents, I would have such horror. Here's such horrible stories. I forget the point I was, I was trying to tell you. What did I start saying there, Josh? <laughs> well, it was just something you realized. I know. I'm trying to figure out what it was that I realized. (laughs) Oh, Oh, right. That I was, was something that has to do with depression and people's baseline. Um, Oh, this is what it was. I'm so glad I remembered. The guy asked me, and that's, you want to know what impact does uh, three years of methamphetamine have on your system? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That right, you just looked at it. Yeah. I don't know if that's because yeah. I'm 43 and I just smoked a lot of weed, or if that's the meth. I don't know, but that's as bad as it gets. But yeah. I, it came around the carousel, so I did remember. Uh, he asked me while we were in treatment, one of our in one of these thousands of hours of of, of treatment, 
what do you hope to get out of coming here? And I thought about it. And I said, I don't know. What, what should I be hoping to get out of coming here? And he said, uh, we'll never forget. I might forget it temporarily. He said, <laughs> you should be trying to figure out how to build a life that you don't have to escape from. Mm. Wow, that clicked. That clicked. Yeah. And yeah. that made a lot of sense. And I think, really, those are people that are prone to addiction. People that aren't, people that build lives that they have to get away from. Yeah. Are typically going to end up drug addicts. So people that are usually just better managers of their life, their diet, their their exposure to uh, uh, bad things, their substance intake. People that are good managers typically don't fall to addiction as hard. So if, if you're looking to figure out, you know, personality traits within your own family, I, I mean, that's a good spot to look at. Obviously, between the four of them, some of them are better managers than others, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So real quick, uh, kind of an aside, if there's somebody here listening, who's on the, who's at the beginning of recovery, are there certain things that you would recommend that they do daily to help with recovery? Absolutely. I would definitely recommend getting professional treatment because if you're, if you're on a drug and if you, if you're wondering if you might be, you are, <laughs> so if you're on a drug, it can be almost impossible to regroove your record by yourself. And when you go to treatment, you're taking yourself out of your habits and your patterns because it can, you can really have the desire to quit. But if you're going and seeing the same people and you don't know what to do with yourself because every Thursday your Todd comes over and you don't know what to do if Todd doesn't come over. So that just is like a built in thing. It, it's hard to, to, to break these habits without taking yourself out of your your regular life. So I think going to treatment for 30 to 60 days is crucial. So professional treatment, I think 12 steps for anybody that can't afford professional treatment is a great place to start. And I think the 12 steps is a great place to start for anybody with any kind of problem in life, whether you've got just anything. It's a good way to recalibrate yourself. And then also what saved my life has been yoga. I found this something called the, I found something called the Isha Kriya. It's spelled like this: I S H A, then Kriya K R I Y A, and you can you can YouTube it. And I started doing this practice, and after about six months, Josh, no bullshit, I started waking up in like a joyful mood. Wow! Just from doing this practice, there's it's it's a scientific system, and they can. Uh, uh, a practitioner can explain to you how scientifically it's organized, reorganizing your energy system. I don't end all that. All I can do is just tell you it worked for me. And, and that was really, you know, waking up in not a depressed mood where it takes you half an hour to get out of bed will yeah. seriously shift your entire, you know, paradigm. So yeah, those three things is what really worked for me and, and changed my life. Oh, well, that's awesome. Awesome. And I just well, listen, started I, working. I just started working at Quest to Recovery. It's with the numeral two, and that's the treatment center that I graduated from. And I'm working there now as a recovery advocate and a recovery coach. I counsel the counsel the patients there, and I'm also initiating a program there called Keep It Clean, where we go in and teach the client how to take their personal and childhood trauma and turn it into stand-up comedy material. Nice. That's awesome. 
That sounds like yeah, fun. So we're going to have super stoked about it. Oh, that's cool. I love that you're taking you're, you're taking your natural you obviously have a natural outgoing personality and natural humor and using that to kind of help others and I think that's really great. So That's oh that's my only gift really so I got to use it. I I, <laughs> I have no other no other attributes. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I'll tell you what. The thing is even if even if that's true, which I'm sure it's not. But if that is if that is true, uh, that's a gift that keeps on giving. Laughter is such a – it's hard It's hard to have a bad day when you're laughing. You I agree with I mean? you. I And, then, yeah. you know, nothing will help you kind of just reset than like a good gut laugh. Because it, yeah. it, 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 it lets go of, uh, you know, dopamine and things and, and it really it, – it, you know, chemicals become exuded and things like that. It's a chemical reaction that actually does wonders for your system. Have you seen that documentary somebody made? Um, it was about uh, somebody that found out they had, they had cancer, and it was terminal cancer, and they locked mm -hmm. themselves for I think six months, a six month period, in a hotel room in Las Vegas with nothing but comedy, like uh, Charlie Chaplin movies and you know Three Stooges and stuff. And after the six month period, they went back to the doctor, and they had cured themselves of their cancer. Wow. Seriously. Yeah, that's wow. a trip. That's interesting. I forget the name, but it's a fascinating documentary. Yeah. Well, listen, I have one more question for you. I want to be mindful of your time, but the uh, the next question is when I ask everybody. Some people don't like it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So the question is, you know, one day, uh, hopefully long into the future, um, you're going to pass away and there's going to be a funeral and someone's going to give you a eulogy. What's the one thing you hope someone says in your eulogy? That guy was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I just want them to smile and remember me. And you know what? I want them to be upset that I died. Yeah. First and foremost. Yeah. Some people yeah. die and you're like, eh. Yeah. I just well, want them to be sad that I'm not there anymore. And if I lived my life to where in that way where people are upset that I died, I'd be good enough. Awesome. You, you know, it's cool. I love having a podcast. And the reason I love it is because um, there's no other avenue where we would have met, you know, I mean, other than like if I went to a Comic Con and you were doing signings or something. Uh, and even then it wouldn't have been like this. I, I really have enjoyed talking to you and meeting you. Me too, uh, and, uh, you, you know, I wish you well. Let's have you back as your as after your tour. Let's have you back on and talk about it and see, see That'd be how, great. how things are going, man. I, I'd, be happy, I'd be happy to have you back on. You know, I uh, wanted to make sure that I uh, settled up with you, so to speak, because I saw Esquire down at the bottom of the email, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to fuck with it. You know what I mean, Josh? I got enough problems. <laughs> well, but yeah, don't man, worry reach about out that. anytime. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, again, real quick before we end, uh, thanks for listening to the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, and we'll see you guys again soon. Bye, guys. Quack quack. <laughs>